0: Welcome to another episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music, and many thanks to Guy, Tom, and the Bloodhounds for playing us in tonight. For the sounds of it, the party's already started, but the night is young yet, so why don't we settle in and get started furthering our goal of getting to the very bottom of what exactly it is that makes 80s and 90s country music particularly work. You know our M.O. by now. Here at Nashville Anthems, we attack this problem through close examination of the songs played on satellite radios, 80s and 90s country station, one at a time. Today, we're going to drown ourselves in the intoxication of Dwight Yoakam's debut single, Honky Tonk Man. So, if you haven't already, I hope you'll pause me now and give Honky Tonk Man a few close listens. It wouldn't hurt you to brush up on Buck Owens, too, if you need a classic Bakersfield refresher. Because, as we'll get to shortly, you can't really talk about Dwight Yoakam without digging into some country music history. Even more than with Brad Paisley, getting in touch with his country forebears is what Dwight Yoakam is all about. It's like, not even part of his act, it's his whole thing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's make sure we're giving credit where credit is due. So you don't have to bother to look this stuff up on Wikipedia yourself. Honky Tonk Man was co-written and originally recorded and released by rockabilly legend Johnny Horton in 1957. That was before he started becoming known for all those military ballads that he did. Honky Tonk Man was, in fact, Horton's first charting single, reaching number nine on the U.S. country charts. Horton's co-writers, by the way, were Howard Hawsey and Horton's bassist, go bassists, and frequent collaborator Tillman Franks. So Honky Tonk Man was a fitting debut single for Dwight Yoakam, who, as I said, is about as self-consciously retro a country act as you could conceive of. Yoakam's story is the stuff of country lore. It's almost too on-the-nose to be credible, yet it's brimming with an authenticity and originality that I suppose could only have been achieved ironically, especially in the 80s, through his relentless imitation of those who preceded him. As the story goes, rejected by Nashville in the early 80s, Kentucky native Dwight Yoakam moved west, close to Bakersfield in geography and dead center of it in philosophy. And He got famous not through playing country honky-tonks in Nashville, but through playing punk clubs in LA. I'm not making this up. Then cue the mid-80s, George Strait, Randy Travis, and neo-traditional country, and Dwight Yoakam goes from outsider to mainstream. How much of that was chicken and how much egg would be a fun discussion that I'm not qualified to lead, but Either way, 1986 was perfect timing for Yoakam's debut album. The awkwardly titled, again, I'm not making this up, Guitars, Cadillacs, etc., etc. Now that etc., etc. part on the end sounds like the label's way of trying to obscure the words hillbilly music. Kind of like the ellipsis before Britney Spears' was one more time. But again, that may be too on the nose to be plausible. After all, the album could have just been called Guitars, Cadillacs, and that's it without the et cetera, et cetera. In fact, that's the name of the title track, but I digress. Regardless of the name, Guitars, Cadillacs, and whatever continues to be an acclaimed country album today, and in 1986, it put Dwight Yoakam on the national map such that Nashville could no longer ignore him, and Dwight Yoakam has been a household name in country music ever since. This is some of the backstory, which again is critical with looking at Dwight Yoakam because it's such an essential part of the package with him. As far as the single itself, Honky Tonk Man, Yoakum's version, of course, made it to number three on the U.S. country charts, held out of the top two spots by. anybody want to guess? Bet you didn't guess these. <laughs> Actually, a couple that kind of skewed neo traditional themselves, although definitely not as immersively as Dwight Yoakum. It was the Forrester Sisters, Mama's Never Seen Those Eyes at number two. And at number one was Life's Highway by frequent Nashville anthem subject and 80s hitmaker Steve Warner. Alright, rounding out the credits for "Honky Tonk Man, I mentioned the writers already, and production credit on this and every Dwight Yoakam song you know goes to his longtime producer and electric guitar player and indisputably critical piece of the Dwight Yoakam puzzle, and that'd be Pete Anderson. Okay, well that was a lot of background. It's time to get into the substance of the song itself. And find out at least what I'm hearing in Honky Tonk Man that makes this song what it is. Let's start by trying to define this song's particular style. Because in this case, the style is inseparable from the substance. The style is the song. Let's start more concrete and get more abstract. One thing we can definitely say is that Honky Tonk Man is in our old friend E-Blues. Something we have run into numerous times before on Nashville anthems. Key examples including... Foster and Lloyd's Crazy Over You, it's Child, Brooks and Dunn's Boot Scootin' Boogie, and one in which we deep-dived on why blues work so well in the key of E, Joe Diffie's third rock from the sun. at Rodeo was E-Blues adjacent, by the way. So, all versions of Honky Tonk Man that I'm aware of are in the key of E, including, obviously, Dwight Yoakam's and Johnny Horton's original. And they really have to be, or either the guitar has to be retuned or played with a capo, and neither of those really are going to work quite right on the bends on that low E string that this song has. Again, dig up the third Rock from the Sun episode if you're not sure why that is. Actually, the same is true of Billy the Kid, in a way. Although, Billy the Kid solved the key problem by staying in D, but tuning just the E string a step down. That was drop D tuning, as we talked about in that episode. But Along those lines, I'm not going to go into the blue notes that this song is chock full of, because... We've labored that idea on Nashville anthems, and blue notes and tones are obviously a key ingredient in the 80s and 90s. Country music casserole. But I am going to talk more about blues form, because Honky Tonk Man plays with the timing of traditional 12-bar blues in some interesting ways. If you remember, we talked about something similar with Clint Black's Summer's Coming, how the rhythm of that one felt a little awkward because it suggested 12-bar blues but stretched it into 16 bars. Honky Tonk Man takes it in the other direction, and it manages, to my ear, to feel less awkward than natural. Even naturally off-balance, if that makes any sense. Maybe it does to you, it doesn't for me, but let's unpack what's happening here and see what it tells us. First, a very quick refresher, because we've looked at this several times now, but 12-bar blues can be thought of as three groups of four bars each. Group one is four bars of the one chord, that's E in this key. Group two is two bars of the four chord, A, and two bars back to one. And group three is one bar of the five chord, that's B. Then it can vary a bit, but always ends up back on the one chord as the whole 12-bar pattern repeats. Or it gets ready to, at least. Sometimes there's a little interlude between verses. Here's the 12-bar blues pattern in Boot Scootin' Boogie. I'll count it. 1, 2, 3, 4, And back to 1 as it gets ready to repeat. So how does honky-tonk man play with that form? let's look at each of the three groups group one is the same as always four bars of one
1: the girls a word.
0: Then group two starts to mix it up. It's 12 bars of the four chord, but the second of those two bars is only two beats long before going back to one for two bars. It's like this. One two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. Then group three mixes it up even more. And you can count this a couple of different ways, but I hear it as four bars of alternating four beats and two beats each, like this. So it's four beats of five, then two more beats of five, then 4 beats of 1, then 2 more beats of 1. Huh? Alright, let's count it out. 1, 1, 2, three, four, one, two, one, two three, four, 1, 2, then back to 1 for a 2-bar interlude. So here's the whole thing. 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 1 on the interlude as it gets ready to repeat. Okay, that's a mouthful, but you didn't need to follow all of that to get the idea. The point is that Hocky Tonk Man takes the traditional 12-bar blues form and shortens a few of the bars in spots that don't feel completely unnatural and don't disrupt the 12-bar blues feel all that much but do get you off-balance for a second. And for what it's worth, Johnny Horton's original also plays with 12-bar blues timing in similar, though not identical, ways to Yoakam's cover.
1: I love to give the girls a whirl to the music of an old two box, but when my money's all gone, I'm on the...
0: So that kind of tells you this off-balance approach to the timing is inherent in the DNA of this song, even if the particular manifestation can vary. And this gets into some of what we talked about with the particular swing vibe in Garth Brooks' slurred vocals and Long Neck Bottle, a song that owes a lot overall to Honky Tonk Man. We talked in that episode how swing helps that song feel both dancy and wobbly, unsteady, intoxicated. Well, Honky Tonk Man even amps that effect up because it's also in swing, but even takes the standard 12-bar blues, and particularly the 4-4 four four bars within it, and strips them of some of their symmetry, such that there are places in this chorus where you're not, sure where beat one is. In other words, you become temporarily unmoored, as it were, in spots such that maybe you're a bit farther gone in this one, with dancing maybe not coming quite as naturally to you as it might have in Long Night Bottle. And that brings us to the next important ingredient in this song's style, which is right there in the name, but Honky Tonk Man is clearly Honky Tonk Music. We've talked a lot in this podcast, predictably for 80s and 90s country, about what the loaded term honky-tonk means musically. And it can be related to the lyrical content of the song, as it clearly is here, and it was in Long Neck Bottle and quintessentially in Bootscoot and Boogie, as we discussed, but it doesn't have to be. It's really more about the music itself. It's in the instruments, usually there's two out of three of steel guitar, fiddle, and barroom piano, as is the case in Honky Tonk Man. And it's in the vocal delivery, and that's best illustrated by example. There are a lot of places we could go here, but the quintessential honky-tonker is Hank Williams. Listen to Williams' vocals, then listen to Yoakam's on Honky Tonk Man.
1: Came in last night at half past ten That baby of mine wouldn't let me in So move it on over Move it on over Move it on over Move it on over Move over, little dog Cause the big dog's moving in I'm a honky-tonk man And I can't seems to stop
0: it's not the easiest thing to describe. It's in the drawl. it's in the scoops, it's in the kind of pseudo-yodel in these voices. But it's more abstract than that. It's in the vibe. It's in the laziness of delivery, the absent ease with which these vocals flow. The sort of inebriated, sort of fancy-free, fun relatability of these vocalists. The accessibility, the working-classness of it all. Like, yet, The Enigma, it's a small room with a small stage, but it's still a stage, and there's still separation. But you feel like you could be up there, even though you aren't, you know? These guys are singing for you, the common man, something like that, anyway. And Yoakum has that. It's undeniably intentional and self conscious. That he's drawing on the honky tonk tradition of Hank Williams is immediately obvious in his delivery. And he's even got the Enigma thing, too. The hat is pulled down a bit over his eyes, and it's not necessarily obvious what he looks like or where he came from. It's the Midnight in Montgomery mystery that's also part of the package. But what else is in that package? Well, let's talk about Rockabilly. I alluded to it before when I mentioned Johnny Horton, and it bears some explanation. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm out of my league on saying too much about Rockabilly, but here are a couple of things I can say. Overall, Honky Tonk Man is just closer to Johnny Cash, Elvis, and 50s Rocket roll than to what are often called the Nashville sound, country countrypolitan.
1: I wasted my time when I would try, try, try Cause when the lights have lost a glow, you cry, cry, cry Well, it's one for the money, two for the show three to get ready now, go
0: We've talked about this a lot with Crazy Over You, another self-consciously retro song, the connective tissue between like 50s rock and roll and 80s country music. And also rockabilly is characterized by fast swing rhythms. And Honky Tonk Man certainly has that as well, but there's a little more to it in Honky Tonk Man that we should talk about. I'd say that within the world of swing, Honky Tonk Man skews toward a fast shuffle. The idea of a shuffle isn't something we've really talked about before here, so it may be good to get into it a bit. As with many of the terms we've tackled in this podcast, this isn't an easy one to put a tidy consensus definition on, but it's something like this. A shuffle is a swing beat that emphasizes swing's triplet feel. So in other words, as we discussed, a swing beat is one in which the upbeats are slightly delayed. So it's 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 instead of 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And part of the fun is that the delay isn't necessarily precise or even consistent within a song. But with a shuffle, the upbeat is consistent and precisely placed two-thirds of the way toward the next beat. So many of you are familiar with triplets in music. A triplet is three evenly spaced notes in the space where two normally go. It's usually enunciated like triplet, 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 triplet. But leave off the second little subbeat of that, the second syllable, and you've got a swing beat. It's triplet, triplet, triplet. Triply, triply. Kind of mix them around in some order and you've got the essence of a shuffle. Something like maybe triplet, 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 something like that. The snare drum intro of Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Women number 12 and 35 is a good place to hear what I'm talking about. So, listen to Honky Tonk Man and see if you hear the same sort of shuffle that I'm feeling.
1: I'm a man.
0: Okay, finally, and honestly, where we could have gone up front on the question of style and really just said it all, Honky Tonk Man is an example of 1950s and 60s Bakerfield-style country music. And if you want to talk loaded terms, I definitely just threw one out there. I invite you to do some private homework on the Bakersfield sound because it's rich and fascinating. I'll also invite you to listen to the several Cocaine and Rhinestones episodes on Buck Owens, which are some of that show's best, in my opinion, if you really want to dig into the Bakersfield history. I'll just try to sum it up, especially as it relates to Dwight Yoakam and Honky Tonk Man. We're talking about the brand of country music that sprung up literally in Bakersfield, California, where all those Okies from Muskogee settled back during the Depression and the Dust Bowl. It's characterized by all the things that define honky-tonk music, plus those rockabilly roots, and with a particular emphasis on rhythm and backbeat. We talked about the concept of backbeat in the Linda episode, if you want a refresher. But the two key figures of Bakersfield are Merle Haggard and the aforementioned legend, and frankly, the man I could have saved a bunch of time now by just getting straight to, and that's Buck Owens. I don't think anyone is going to argue with me on this point, but I'm serious when I say if you have another perspective, I want to hear it. But I boldly claim that Dwight Yoakam is essentially Buck Owens redux. There are specific things we can point to here, so let's do that, but in the end, I think it's just a matter of listening. But the most obvious concrete connected tissue between Owens and Yoakum is that both leaned heavily on a side man who sang the single harmony vocal, the high harmony, above the melody, and played electric guitar. That was the legendary Don Rich for Buck Owens, and for Dwight Yoakum, it was the producer I credited earlier, Pete Anderson. And Anderson's bluesy electric guitar on Honky Tonk Man is specifically worth highlighting. Here's a little from Don Rich, too, for good measure. And here's some high harmony from each.
1: Sing a hey, hey.
0: Now, these connections are by no means coincidences. Yoakum was not coy about his influences. He wanted to bring Bakersfield back, and arguably post-1986 country music shows that in large part, that's just what he did. And the strands of influence around all this are thicker, longer, and more entangled than we can get into here. Because Bakersfield was itself retro, right? I mean, there's a reason this all sounds like Hank Williams, and there's also a reason much of neo-traditional country music that followed in Yoakam's initial wake sounds a lot like this, too. It's part of the richness of history that seems to be baked right into 80s and 90s country music. And I think we'll get more and more of this as we keep going, but right now, let's just enjoy listening. Ladies and gentlemen, Buck Owens, parts one and two. <laughs>
1: I don't care if the sun don't shine I don't care if the bells don't chime. just as long as you love me and I don't care if the tops don't spin, I don't care if the gins won't gin just as long as you love me well, I'm a honking tonk man ain't a crazy stop. love gives the girls a world
0: we labored the idea of style on Honky Tonk Man, because as I think I've hopefully shown, Honky Tonk Man is about its style and its very essence. What about the content of the song, though? Well, Spoiler alert, even in the content, this song will not be straying far from the Honky Tonks of Bakerfield, because, and in this, it's a perfect follow-up to our last episode on Soon, we have in Honky Tonk Man the male version of that low-class celebration I talked about with Tanya Tucker. Long Bottle is also a perfect example of this, and of course, Friends in Low Places is the ultimate example. In Honky Tonk Man, we have another celebration of the lovable loser. Like in Long Neck Bottle, this man is evidently powerless, at least on the home front. Actually, on the honky-tonk front too, at least ultimately, because not only can he not seem to stop honky tonkin', can't seem to get the bottle to let go of his hand, but also the end of the oft-repeated chorus of Honky-tonk Man describes a man who is broke and begging for permission to return home. There is a contrast there. There's a sense in which he is, at least initially, king of the dance floor in this song while he's out carousing and womanizing, but that hook is the punchline. This guy's not a fun and fancy free bachelor. He's a married man with a home life. Reality calls him, or I guess he calls reality, when he runs out of money and finds himself dethroned. So there's definitely a celebration of the honky-tonk lifestyle in this song. There's no hint of anything else in the verses, as a matter of fact. But you do get that sort of twist or specific ironic spin in the chorus that probably, if anything, makes the song all the more relatable. So it's very similar to Long Neck Bottle in theme and perspective. It's not Friends in Low Places, at least not Garth Brooks's version, where the humiliated redneck gets the last laugh. And it's not Neon Moon, which trades light-hearted partying and dancing for brooding depressed, solo consumption. Maybe it's the other side of I'm going to hire a wino to decorate our home. Remember how the perspective of that song was that of the woman back home? Sort of. It was actually the perspective of the woman back home as told by the carousing man. And as a result, the tone of the song was really not that clear. And you kind of have that here. The man's tone is pretty clear, but we only hear one side of that phone call. We don't know where this is going. Hey, honey, I'm done dancing with other women and drinking us at the poorhouse. Can you come pick me up? Relatable? Perhaps. Lovable? Boy, that's tough. There's certainly nothing admirable in what this guy is doing, and I think some of what's going on here is that this song, being originally from the 1950s, a big helping of overt mid-century sexism is showing up in these lyrics. But tonally, again, perhaps a sign of its times, the song seems to wink at that problem. It thinks the protagonist is lovable, even if that idea hasn't necessarily aged well. But here's a good time to point back what we talked about regarding Tanya Tucker's Soon. That 80s and 90s country music does this. It can take a perspective that may be pretty unambiguously morally wrong and treats it honestly and relatably. Now, I would overplay that idea here. I think age and gender do hurt this song's relatability. But it's no less infectious for all that. Honky Tonk Man is everything that makes Bakersfield Honky Tonk timeless and great even if you have to hold your nose a bit to swallow it all the way down. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's closing time. Let's do Last Call on Honky Tonk Man while I pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station and find out what song we'll be drinking down on our next episode of Nashville Anthems. We're going to be hanging out with David Lee Murphy and the party crowd. I look forward to getting to that one with you in two weeks. In the meantime, you know the drill. Find Nashville Anthems on Instagram or Facebook. Let's have a conversation. And don't forget to tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. I gotta go. I think I got a phone ringing.